Okay, guys, we're, we're in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Again, I want to remind you that we're talking about a letter that was written to Jewish Hebrew Christians because at the time when this letter was written, most of the church were Hebrews, and Jews in the church. The significant turning point for the church when it became more and more Gentile was A.D. 70, okay? But so this letter was written before that. So it's written to the Jewish church, written to Christians who are probably undergoing severe persecution, who are thinking about chucking it all and leaving and going back to the Mosaic system, going back to just back to being just a Jew, not just a Christian Jew who believes in Jesus, but a Jew. And if you understand that, that will help you in dealing with some passages. So, like, I'm, I've been studying this week. Uh, I'm already, because I write our lessons ahead of time, so I've been in, in uh, Hebrews 6. And when you understand that, it kind of opens up Hebrews 6 for you. It kind of helps you to understand what's being written. And so that's a few weeks away when we get there, okay? Um, so, but I, I was struck by this letter, and we're going to see it. I'll just wait till we get there when we get to chapter 5. Uh, but we really need to grasp the reality that we're talking about a letter that's written to people who are ready to give up, ready to give up their faith. Now, he's going to talk about God's rest today, and I think that's important in light of what we just read in chapter 3, where he talked about those who were not able to enter into the rest because of their unbelief, okay, meaning the, the Jews in the wilderness, the, the Israelites in the wilderness when they rebelled against Moses. So we're going to talk about attaining God's rest today. So if you want to look with me, we're in chapter 4. And let me just get there real quick here. We're going to look at verse, first of all, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to see, first of all, a warning. A warning. So look with me at verses 1 to 10. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us, as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, nor being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, I have sworn in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain way, in a certain place on the seventh day, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, and again he designated a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from the works as God did from his. 
Okay, so let's look at this, because you might be saying, wow, what in the world is he saying? It seems almost confusing. He says, enter into my rest, and the next week he says, don't enter into my rest. What's he talking about here? So let's go through this. We're going to go through this verse by verse and see exactly what he's saying here. First thing we're going to see is there's a, a call to fear. The promise of rest, or let me just stop for a minute. What are we talking about rest? Rest is another word meaning heaven. Okay? It's talking about heaven. It's talking about paradise. It's talking about being beyond this world that we're struggling in. So, for instance, for the Hebrews in the wilderness, rest was the land of what? Canaan, entering into God's rest. So when he's talking about rest here, we're talking about after this life. Okay? So, what he's saying here is the promise of rest remains for those who, what, truly believe. All right? Remains for those who truly believe. Now, the writer calls his readers to fear the possibility of not entering God's rest. You and I need to have a fear of not entering God's rest. Well, let's just stop for a moment there because I'm sure you're like, what? I've got a confidence because of my salvation that I'm going to enter into that rest. What in the world is he saying that I need to fear? What do you think he's talking about here? Okay. Okay, all right. So, yeah, he's he's talking about having a fear of the fact that if they give it up, they're not going to enter into that rest. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else with a thought? Why do you think he wants us to fear? Okay, so we don't just chuck our belief, okay, or act out of unbelief. Because when we sin... Do you realize sin is a result of what in our lives? Unbelief in some area. Okay? So what, what he's talking about here is that you and I need to be driven by a holy fear. Because later, many places in the scripture it talks about to him who overcomes. I will give this is what Revelation says. Seven times he gives that promises in, the, in chapters 2 and 3. To him who overcomes, I will give this. Seven times he makes that promise about overcoming, and throughout, and they overcame because of what? The blood of the Lamb. Overcoming is a theme throughout the Scriptures of overcoming what? This life. So there needs to be a sense, not of, because you, you, sometimes you'll meet people and they'll, they'll say, I'm saved, I can do whatever. Well, that's a confidence that's not a biblical confidence, is it? You know, those, those folks actually need to have a what? Fear. Yeah, this is what he's talking about here, okay? The writer calls his readers to fear the possibility of not entering God's rest, okay? See, that's why, can I be honest with you? It's okay if you're really struggling with your salvation because of a sin issue in your life. You know, we like to tell everybody, hey, calm down. You trusted in Jesus, I was there. You know, it's okay, it's going to be okay. No, no, actually, it's okay for them to be broken up about the sin in their life. It's okay if they're struggling with assurance because they need to, that's all part of the process of what? Dealing with what? The junk in their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's them taking serious their sin. If you've got somebody who's not 
at all serious about their sin, there's a problem there. Do you know what I mean? There's a problem. You know, and I, you know, I've been a believer now 29 years, okay? This last week, 29 years I've been a believer. And I've been in church, I've pastored for, you know, for a long time now, 20 of those 29 years. I've been in churches and stuff. I've met some mean Christians. Have you met mean Christians? I've met some mean Christians who, even though they acted spiritual in church, lived like, I mean, they were just pure rotten the rest of the week in the way they dealt with everybody else and everything. And, 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 and they were not convicted at all about the way that they were acting. They, there was no concern whatsoever at all about the way that they were acting. How many of you have met folks like that? Okay. Are they okay? No, not necessarily. Just simply because you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, got baptized, doesn't mean you're truly saved. Do you, know what, do you know what I mean? And if there's no change in your life or no brokenness over your sin, do you know what I mean? But we're so willing to accept that everybody's okay where they're at. They're not. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? They're not. You know, Lori will tell you, you know, with our kids and raising our kids, we've had hard discussions with a lot of them so far. And, and, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll come to the point of saying, hey, are you sure you know the Lord? You just can't trust in the fact that your daddy is a pastor, that you're saved. Do you own faith yourself? It's not my faith you've got to own. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Is it, do you own it yourself? Because what I'm seeing here is, is not somebody who's sensitive to the Lord and walking with the Lord. The behavior I'm seeing is actually contrary to that. So have you thought about that? Don't just assume because you prayed a prayer, you're okay. You said, that's pretty harsh. No, that's concern for my kid's salvation. And that's where the writer's at here. There's a promise of rest. Do you understand? we got a promise of rest. We're holding on to the promise of rest, right? But he's also calling us to fear. Because one of the words that he's using in this passage, he used it last week, is don't harden your heart towards the Lord. Don't harden your heart. Because we need to fear that. So here's the response to the gospel. The gospel was preached to us as it was to the wilderness generation. You say, well, I mean, they didn't hear about Jesus in the wilderness. No, but they heard about putting their faith and trust in who? The God who was visible to them. See, you and I, do you see, do we, we see Jesus physically in front of us? Do we see any kind of physical manifestations of that? No. How about the wilderness generation? Did they see physical manifestations? Pillar of cloud in the day, pillar of fire at night, miracles. Upon miracles, judgments upon judgments. Do you think they saw the physical presence of God? Yes. Over and over, if you read through Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, you will read continually of their fear, literally being afraid because of what they're seeing from God, but did that change their hearts? No. See, they got the same gospel, faith in God. 
That was preached to them. But the gospel was of no profit to them since they did not have what? Faith in it. They didn't have faith in it. All right, let me just stop. This is a good exercise for us. I want you to think about them. I just said to you, did they see God every day? Every time they woke up in the morning, what was laying on the ground for them to gather? Manna. Where did that come from? Do you know what I'm saying? We'd love for bread to be rained, loaves of wonder bread or something to be found every morning on the on the front porch, right? Okay? All right. All right, now here, listen to me. They, so they got bread every morning. So, okay, so if you said to them, is God real? What would they say to you? They should say yes, right? Yes. What does that tell you about belief? It's more than just simply knowing. It's a commitment to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they believed, they saw. Did they enter into the rest? No. Scripture records that every one of their bodies fell dead in the desert. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's got to be more. It's a commitment to. It's following him. It's having faith in him. Not just believing. See, we equate faith as, as simply believing a simple fact. Like two plus two is four. You know what I'm saying? But how much is that impacting your day lately? You know? I don't know that he spoiled them, bro. <laughs> Well, he gave them manna, but you remember they complained about getting manna. Remember, if you read through through the scripture, they complained about manna and said, "We want meat, we want meat." So he gave them meat, gave them quail, and they were gluttonous over the quail and ate more than they should. You know, they were, and what happened? It rotted between their teeth. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, but that's the nature of unbelief. Okay, let me give you an example. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, it tells very clearly that Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and he will not deceive the nations. And then Jesus will be reigning for a thousand years. Jesus himself will be reigning for a thousand years. Do you think everybody will know who Jesus is and what he can do? Yeah, at that point they can. They will, okay? They'll know who he is. Will they believe that Jesus is in charge? Yeah, they'll believe that. But when Satan is released, the multitude of the world will rise up against Jesus. See, even though you see does not necessarily mean you have faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, like, okay, here's the thing. We go to the doctors here, right? We have to go to the, I mean, we, if we're sick, we go where? You know who your doctor is. You're either complaining about him or, or he's the greatest thing, okay? When you go into the doctor's, and you know what it's like going to a doctor's office. You, you're going to just automatically, you just know you're going to what? Wait, okay? And so you're in their little room there, and you're looking around at all the instruments they got there. And usually in every one of the rooms, they got a diploma hanging, Right? Or it's in the waiting room. You see the diplomas. And so you can, you can sit there and know this guy's got education. Or this gal's got education. They've been trained. 
did. Do you know what I'm saying? Look at that. They're a member of this. And look at that. Woo! Okay? And then they come in, they look you over, check you over, and they say, hey, you got to lose a few pounds. you got to cut out the carbs. you got to get your cholesterol down. you got to do this. you got to do that. Now, you know they're trained. You know they're part of this or a part of that. You know that they know their stuff. But why do you not listen to them sometimes? <laughs> it's no fun. Okay? That's part of it. But some of it sometimes is, it has to do with the issue of faith. You, don't nece- you may not necessarily have faith in them and what they say. Or it's the other. You don't really believe. You know better. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? See, we, we experience that day by day. You know, if the mechanic tells you, quit doing this to your vehicle, who's got to make a choice there? And whether or not you believe you're a mechanic. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the difference between belief and faith, and that's what we're talking about here. So here the gospel was of no profit to them since they didn't have faith in it. So let's go on now. The promise of rest still stands for those who believe. So even though people aren't believing, okay, the promise still stands. Okay? Do you understand? Even though most people are leaving the church, most people are are not believing anymore, and and, and this, that, or another, that, that has nothing to do with whether or not the promise is real. Do you understand what I'm saying? That has no impact on the promise being there for those who believe. That's what the writer is saying here. The promise is for those who what? Believe. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's for those who believe. So even though the wilderness generation did not enter it because of their unbelief, okay? Even though that the promise is still there, even though that... The wilderness generation did not enter it because of their unbelief. So then he's going to talk about rest here. Verse 4, God established his rest from the beginning of creation. So God established his rest from the beginning of creation. And we know that. And Six days he created. On the seventh day he what? Rested. Okay? So he established rest from the beginning of creation. So again, the writer stresses again that the wilderness generation was what? Excluded from God's rest. So again, he's going to make that point to you. Those folks, even though they saw things, even though they experienced it, even any, all of that, they did not get to partake of that rest. Okay? They didn't get to partake of that rest. So some who first heard were excluded from God's rest because of what? Disobedience. All right, can I, let me just write down in your paper this. Write down the word unbelief. Give it a little space. And then write down disobedience. Okay? And what I want you to put in between that is an equal sign. Unbelief equals disobedience. That's a fact. 
That may not be blatant. But if you don't believe, ultimately you're going to do what you want to do in spite of what God says. You know what I'm saying? Because you're the one who's in control. Because you don't believe him. Did you understand what I'm saying? So if you don't believe in God or that he's in control and what he says, who's the one who's in control then? You are. Did you understand? So you're just going to do your own thing. So unbelief equals disobedience. Okay? So he's making the point here that, that some who first believed were excluded from God's rest because of disobedience. Now, the writer then says, stresses that today is the day that we should listen to God's voice. All right, so let's stop for a moment. He's basically saying, you know, why is he making this big point? Because they're getting ready to want to go back to an old system that was was defunct, that could not bring them salvation. They wanted to leave true salvation to go back to an old system. And so they're struggling with unbelief. And so he's going to make the point, listen, today's the day. So forget about what you were struggling with before. Today, you're reading this. Today, you're hearing this. Today's the day to believe. So yeah, you were struggling before. Make the decision, I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to listen to what he says. Do you understand? I'm going to pay attention to what God says. So isn't that, isn't that wonderful? God, God's word doesn't want you living in the past. Isn't that great? Because if we lived in the past, how will we be doing? Not good at all, because we'd always be reminded of our what? Failures, right? God's, God's word is like, okay, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Are you going to believe now and move on? That's the emphasis. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't live back there. Move on. Okay? And over and over you see that emphasis in the New Testament. So let's go on. Today we should not harden our hearts. Okay? Today don't harden your hearts. Now what's hardening your heart? That means being stubborn about God. Remember we talked about that last week. It's a, it means being stubborn towards God. Not believing. Today we shouldn't harden our hearts. So the issue is, what are you doing today? So why? God's rest remains available for God's people. God's rest remains available for God's people. So let me ask you, how's your week been? Don't tell me. Has it been good? If you're like most people, it's been pretty rough probably, right? Have you noticed that it's exhausting to live? I'm not just talking physically exhausting, but sometimes it's emotionally exhausting, isn't it? It's sometimes spiritually exhausting. Am I right? And and it's like, okay, the weekends come, I can breathe, but even that may have its own problems. And it's like, okay, tomorrow's Monday. Got to start it all over again. Pick up where I left off. Right? Or, hello to new stuff. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that life? That, it's like we're caught up in this endless cycle of pain. But God still holds out the promise of what to us? Rest. 
But do you believe them? Did you understand what I'm saying? Do you believe them? Do you believe them? So then, here's what he's saying. God's rest is promised to those who completed their appointed will and appointed work in God's will. All right, so let's stop for a moment. So what is he saying there? Look, look at what he says there, verse 10. For he who has entered his rest as himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So when you and I leave this world, it's because we got, we were done doing what God told us to do here. Do you understand? You ever get afraid of dying? It's normal. And you get nervous about death, don't we? You ever get freaked out, you know? I remember when my brother had a heart attack when he was 68 and died. And I'm 11 and a half months older than him. Do you think I was nervous? Do you think I went to the doctor? He was 38. I was 39. Oh, 38. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he was 38. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, Tom. Everybody, every, I, everybody wants to give me a senior's discount wherever I go. You're telling me I don't look that old. Okay, good. All right. Everybody says Lori's my daughter. Okay. Uh, well, anyhow, uh, what was I saying? I went to the doctor to get my heart checked out because, you know what I'm saying? Because you're concerned about what? Yeah, okay. So here's what he's saying. Here's the, here's the confidence you and I can have. If we're resting in him, if we're being obedient... You're not going to die until he's what? Done with you here. And when he's done with you, he'll take you home. Do you know what I'm saying? He'll take you home. All right, now let's look. There's an exhortation here. Just a few verses here. Verses uh, 11 through 13. Look at what he says. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. There, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So here's the exhortation. First of all, a call to diligence. Believers are called to make a diligent effort to enter God's rest. So here, here's the thing. You know what we do with our Christian lives? We just kind of like want to put it on cruise control and like I'm just waiting for, sit back in my easy chair, come and get me Jesus when you're ready, you know. That's not the emphasis of the Bible. The, uh, the emphasis of the Scripture, especially here in Hebrews, is, is you gotta, you got to work at it. Paul says, work out your salvation. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? you got to work at it. you got to work at your faith day by day. Just don't cruise. Because here's the thing. When we put it in cruise control, we, we revert back to the old way that we used to live. The old way of reacting. Do you know what I'm saying? The old way of doing stuff and the old way of thinking. That's not, that's not good, is it? So you and I have got to make an effort 
We say, well, I've got confidence. I'm saved. I'm going to be there. No, but you've got to live like you're going to be there. That's what he's saying here. Okay? So then he goes on, so that no one falls in the same condemnation as the wilderness generation. The reason why you want to work at it is so that you don't fall into the same condemnation because the reality was is maybe you weren't saved. Is that possible? Hey, do you remember the parable that Jesus said about the farmer who got up and sowed seed in the middle of the night? The enemy came by and sowed tares among the wheat. And they got up the next day and said, Master, there's, there's, there's tares, weeds among the wheat. Should we pull them out? No, don't pull them out. We'll wait till the what? Judgment. Jesus said this, Matthew 7. In that day they'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? Cast out demons, all these things. And he'll say to me, depart from me, I never what? Knew you. See, it's possible that you could be in the church crowd, even got baptized, but you're not saved. Did you understand what I'm saying? This is why you've got to make an effort at it to, to grow in your faith. So he goes on. God's word exposes the thoughts and intents of man's hearts. Because here's the thing. I have no clue what's going on in Jim's mind. I have no clue what's going on in Brad's mind. I have no clue what's going on in Bruce's mind. I don't have any clue what's going on in Denny's mind. Okay? I, I live with Lori, so sometimes I think I know what's going on in her mind by her looks towards me. Okay? But I can't read her right now. We don't know what our thoughts are. Do you know what I mean? We don't even know our intentions or motives. Can, you know, we like to judge people's motives, but do we truly know them? No, we don't. Can I be honest with you? God knows your thoughts and your motives. Isn't that scary? Why, so why does he bring that point up? Because you got to make a diligent effort. You got to work at this thing, dude. You know what I'm saying? You got to work at it. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Is that not scary? Do you know what I mean? Is that not scary? Nothing is hidden from His sight. He sees everything. He knows everything. So therefore, all things are exposed to the one whom all must give an account. That will motivate you to be diligent about your faith. All things are exposed to the one whom we must all what? Give an account. One day I have to stand before the Lord and give an account. As much as I long to go to be with him and get away from this world, I don't look forward to that. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, just like I didn't have, I, I can remember as a boy, my dad would come home, my mom would tell him what I'd been up to, and then I'd have to go into the room and what? Talk to him. Uh, I didn't look forward to those times. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? How many of you look forward to that? Nobody did. But we forget 
that we must one day ultimately appear before Jesus and give a what? An account. All right, next week we're going to delve into something I think that's going to be really good for us is because he starts to go off in the final verses of chapter 6 and talks about, because here's the scary thing, because he just said, we're going to give an account for all this stuff. And it's like, man, I'm doomed. I am doomed. Next week he's going to talk about the one who intercedes for us. That's going to be awesome. Okay? We'll talk about that next week.